Okay, beloved, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Today we'll be reading from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Of course, I won't be preaching all of that, God willing. But uh, we'll read it together. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to our confession, or to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, And who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering or with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and other times you were the companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted the joy of the confiscation of your possessions. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. Amen. Today we're going to be looking verses 19 down to verse 25. This is the fourth exhortation. Gosh, that was hard for me to say this morning. Exhortation of Paul. 
perhaps his most powerful of all exhortations. Here he sums up all of the chapters of, that have gone before in three small verses in 19, 20, and 21. And then he looks forward to the, the result of that. And we see this very often in, in all of the scriptures. We've, in our journey through the scriptures together, we have seen Paul um, and his habit of he lays forth the high theology of the Bible. He says, because God is this, and he elevates God in our in our imaginations, in our understandings, he portrays these great theological truths before us. And then at some point he says, and because of these things, therefore we must. And he points us to the practical theology, the fruit of the truths of what we know about God. Those things that should generate in our lives the righteousness that is birthed in us. Indeed, the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. And in the same sense as Paul has done in his letters, the writer here to the Hebrews does exactly the same. Here in this of the fourth exhortations, he switches and he begins his, And therefore... He reminds him, I said it, he does does three reminders of the privileges that are given to all believers in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about the three duties, the three obligations, the three certainties that all Christians must participate in. And when I was going through this last night, uh, uh, because I have to be honest, I changed it last night. Wasn't sitting, the thing that I prepared throughout the week wasn't sitting comfortably in my heart. And so we, we were coming back from Vodo last night, and I said to Sarah, I have to mess with my message. It just does not sit nice in me. So I sat at home and I went through the, the notes again. I changed everything. And as I was going through, it struck me that the writer here, in his elevation, in his. his describing of those duties he talks about the three great truths in the christian life faith hope and love and it was a startling revelation to me and myself that my goodness those are the greatest truths the most powerful things that that designate the signature to the christian life our faith our hope and the love that we show but anyway before we get to that let's have a look at this Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter through the blood of Jesus, the first privilege that's been given to you and I as Christians is the right to enter into this sanctuary. One of the other translations that I had said to draw close to God. He's using temple language. Remember, the sanctuary is the Holy of Holies. He's just been describing Jesus' great priest, not just a high priest, but Jesus in his true priestly ministry. And how Jesus had the right, singularly had the right, to pass beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies, to do his work, to complete it, to be able to sit down, unlike the earthly priest who only was able to go in once a year after offering up sacrifices for his own sins and for the people's. He did what he had to do and then he left and he wasn't allowed to enter in again. Here, because of the work of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, his work has been finished, it has been achieved, 
We have this boldness to enter into the very presence of God. I like that word boldness. And when I was looking it up again last night, I looked up this week, but again, I looked up last night. It is the boldness of a child coming into their own house. It is the confidence of one who is in his familiar circumstance. You ever seen kids when they come into a stranger's house? You know, they're all like, oh, because the parents have threatened them with death. You touch any of their stuff. You don't, oh. But when they're in their own house, you know, they come in, shoe in that direction, shoe in that direction, jacket on the floor, into the kitchen, open the fridge and eat everything. Does that happen only in my house? Because kids come home from school and there's not this, oh, excuse me, could I please, you know, Sorry, no, 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 again, you go into a stranger's house, you're pretending to be the nice person, you know, all all feeding and proper. But when you go into your own house, you're very confident, aren't you? You have this boldness that is beyond the ordinary. That's what the writer, that's what the Holy Spirit through the writer is saying to us as Christians. That as Christians, we have the right, the right of ownership, the right of a family member. Again, If you go to a stranger's home, someone that you don't really know, you knock the door, don't you? And perhaps you wait or you open the door a little bit, go, hello! And there's this understanding. You just don't walk in and sit on their sofa and take their TV control and change the channel. It's just, that doesn't happen. But here in this boldness, in this word, in this word confidence, We have the confidence to be able to enter into the very heart, into the very presence. We walk through all of the exterior and we go in. Again, if you have family and relatives or someone who you're really close to, they don't even necessarily knock the door. They just come straight into your house. You know, they might have a key or something. They just come in. And they make themselves comfortable, make a cup of tea. They go up and do, they ask you in your house, do you want a cup of tea? That's how comfortable they are with you. And you don't take offense to the fact that someone that you love asks you in your own home, do you want a cup of tea? There is this, this confidence. And as Christians, because of what Christ has done for us, Christians have that confidence to be able to come boldly into God's presence. Not because of what you have done, not because of what I have done, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're able to come into that sanctuary because that blood has purchased your salvation, that has made you a member of the family. That is the confidence, the privilege that has been given to you and me, that at any time, at any place, anywhere, Wherever you are might be, you can turn directly and you're in the presence of God. You don't have to do a magic trick. You don't have to do some sort of special ritual. You don't have to feel all holy and ah. Immediately you are in the presence of God. You simply turn and there he is. Again, not because of your righteousness, not because you have earned it, not because you are worthy, not because by any means or method or motivation of yourself, 
Whether you're confident or not confident. Well, I'm not too confident today. I'm a child. He doesn't really want to be with me. Because I don't want to be with him. He doesn't want to be with me. That's nonsense. Access has been purchased for you. And it is upon you. It's not your work. It is someone else's work. And you have been given this access. Beloved, you and I have the right. And therefore we must act upon that right. It's hard for you Finns though, isn't it? You Finns. You know, like... In Ireland we do this funny thing. It's, it's, a, it's a silly thing. You know, when you go to someone's house... And in Ireland, Irish mummies, the first thing you do when you get down a house in Ireland is, would you like a cup of tea? Would you like a wee cup of tea? Just something nice. Be something nice. Say, like, oh, no, I'm just... And they go through this dance where you say, no, a wee cup of... Or, you know, just a wee cup of tea. Just a wee cup of tea. They say, okay, I'll have a wee cup of tea. And then the Irish mum comes out and she has this bricka, you know, a tray like this. There's cake and sandwiches and biscuits and crisps and... And she says, oh, I didn't have very much. You took me by surprise. And then she has cakes and ice cream and everything. I says, oh, I hope this is okay. No, oh, that's far too much. Can I give you a slice of cake? And you're just like, no, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to watch my figure. You can tell. And she's like, oh, let me take a wee bit. No, no. And we do this dance, you know, where she says, take it. And we say, no. And you go back and forth. And you say, oh, okay, then I'll take a little piece of cake. And they give you a little piece of cake, and you're like, oh, is that okay? And you say, yes, there's this little dance. So it's like a, a cultural understanding. It would be very rude to say, oh, I'd love a cup of tea. I would love a sandwich. Oh, great, do you have any cake? I love it. And the Irish mom's like, that's very forward, isn't it? So this little dance that we do, okay? But as Christians, we don't have to do that dance to come. God says, come into my presence. No, Lord, I know. <laughs> And we don't have to do that dance. We don't have to be afraid or be, feel that we're overstepping or being offensive, that our, our forwardness is somehow offensive to God. You know, like where you're, you're, again, just coming into the house of God, throwing your jacket on the floor and your shoes in that direction, in this direction, you know, and putting on your mucus books or whatever you do, getting comfortable in God's house. And again, culturally, we can be a little shy, a little reserved, a little bit as if we don't want to offend God by our informality. But beloved, Jesus' blood has purchased for you family membership in the household of God. And therefore the privilege has been given to you to be bold. I like that word, bold. Confident. Unafraid. Again, uh, I use the example of small children whenever they get comfortable in the household. Think of somebody's kids. Felix and Amy. You know, when they first came to my house, they were all like, oh, no, 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 no. Today, they come in in the street, in the room, they know where the guns are. They know where the biscuits are. They're very comfortable. I love that. That's an illustration of how we are to be in the household of God. Let us not be afraid. Let us not... Draw away. Let's not be timid. Let's be comfortable and bold. Draw close to God. Don't look at yourself and all of your failings and all of your sins and all of your fear. Look at the blood of Jesus Christ that has purchased for you an entrance fee into the family of God. 
Because of him are you there. That was the first privilege. The second one then is he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is his flesh. A new way. It's not the old way. It's not the old way based on your effort. It's not, again, this is temple language. Temple language talking about comparing the Old Testament system with Christ and this New Testament system that we are part of. The old way was formal, ceremonial, symbolic, where you had to go through someone, a man here on earth, where you and I, we are not Jews. If we had even set, set foot in the temple or even looked at it, they would have stoned us to death. But now we are in this new way. And the word new means fresh. It actually means like a fresh kill. As in it's, 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 the carcass is just like still steaming. The blood is still pumping out. Fresh. This fresh way. It's, a, it's, it's can't get any fresher than that. I used to, I used to work on a fishing boat. And uh, we would get the fish in the morning and then we would go or in the night time literally it was in the night time morning and then we would get to the fish market as the sun was coming up and you'd put the fish and you'd always have those old ladies come who say is this fish fresh and like I caught it maybe three hours ago you can't any fresher than it is you know some of the fish were still moving you'd always have someone who said how fresh is this fish it's like, like literally it's just been pulled out of the water the system, the, the, this way that we have with God, this life that we have together with God is new. It's living. It, it's, it's never going to be steel. When he said new, he wasn't just pointing that it will just happen 30 years ago. just happened 7 years ago or whatever the date was. He means that it is, it's always being renewed. As Christ will never die, so this life that you and I have, this way to God that you and I have, will never grow old. It will never diminish. It will never become dry and dusty and formal. God will never get bored with it. It's new. New every morning. Do you remember the verse from Lamentations? I have no idea what Lamentations is in Swedish. I'm so so sorry. And... uh, But in Lamentations, it says God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning, every time. And when I used to get up really early in the morning to go and pray, I don't do that anymore. I'm too old and fat and have too many other things. As in when the sun was coming up. And here in Finland, the sun comes up like at 9 o'clock in the morning sometimes. So it's, you know, or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, depending what what, what date it is. Or if it doesn't go down at all in the summertime. Try and beat that one. And every morning... As the sun would come up, it would be a fresh reminder. Today is a new day. Today is a fresh start. Today, God's mercies are reset. That which happened yesterday, it's gone. Bloop. God remembers it no more. It's a fresh and new way. The Bible tells us that because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have this entrance into heaven. Entrance into the very presence of God. And and indeed, one of the commentaries that I read was saying, this is talking not just about heaven. 
that God has created a way for you and I to enter into paradise, but that you and I might experience him here and now. That outside Jesus Christ, there is no way to God. That outside Jesus Christ, you can talk to God all day long, but he will not hear you. The only acceptable way to come to God is in and through Jesus Christ. We'll see that later on as we look through the rest of the chapter. But beloved, the second great privilege that has been given to you and me is that this this way, the way in which we worship God, the way in which we communicate and interact with God is a new and living way. Not ceremonial, not ritual, Not based upon traditions, but it's relevant. It's for today. It's for now. And that it is through through his humanity. Jesus has purchased it through his humanity, through his death. You know the big curtain in the, the temple that tore when Jesus died? It's a representation of his body. It's a representation of his life. And when he died, the curtain, the Bible says, was torn in two. Split from the top to the bottom. And that's a picture that the the separating division between man and God had been done away with. The great barrier that had been constructed when Adam fell into sin was done away with. And now there was a, I want to say say tunnel, but that's not exactly right. A passage from the material to the spiritual. There was no longer this eternal divide that the two couldn't interact. Jesus Christ made a way for you and for me. It was through his own humanity, through the death of his own flesh. The third then privilege is that we have this great high priest. Again, when I was reading through this, uh, I understand that it says that we have a great priest. Not necessarily a high, it's, the, the word high has been added to the English text. We have a great priest, the great priest. He who is supreme. He is the one who shows us the way. He is the one who is interacting on our behalf. We have this boldness. We are living in this new way. And it is because of the actions of this great priest on our behalf today. Jesus is in heaven interacting with God the Father on our behalf. He is the guide that is going before us whom we are following. He is the one making sure that people don't step off the edge. He is the one who is shepherding his people. You are on this path not because you're clever, good looking, because you deserve it. You're not maintained upon this path because you're smarter than everybody else or you're lucky or your, your abilities are better than everyone else. You are maintained upon this path because of the effort of your great priest or high priest, Jesus. Our third great privilege that he is reminding us is that Jesus is still acting on your behalf. His work didn't finish at the cross. 
The work of redemption have finished at the cross. Absolutely. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. It is finished. Remember. But Christ's shepherding work, his building of his church, his sanctifying of his people, his work in the preservation of his people is still going on. He still lives in heaven interceding for the saints. You are not alone in this life. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? You are not alone in this life. You have a great high priest. You have a great representative. You have one who is actively involved in your life, whether you realize it or not. We, we see babies, don't we? Babies. I, you know I love babies. I'm at that age now when grandchildren are kind of like... A, the next big thing I'm waiting for. Babies are perhaps naturally the thing that is most cared for. We, we care for babies. Your natural programming is you watch his head. Oh, I just broke that. Watch the baby's head. You know, oh, be careful when you put him down. You know, there, there's this thing that we were, we're mega protective about infants in that sense. But the child isn't aware at all, especially when they get a little bit older. You know, a little bit older, and they have no concept of danger. You know, oh, fire! You know, deep water. <laughs> and the, you see the parent running behind you. Like, ah, yeah, theological language there again. The child has no concept of the danger of the situation, or the protection and the efforts of the parent and the carers on their behalf. No idea. They're completely clueless to all of the effort and childproofing and the actions. Children have no idea of their, children, their parents go to work and what they do at work and the things that you have to endure and go through to provide a life for your children. Children are oblivious in the same way that children are oblivious to the actions of their parents on their behalf. So you and I are oblivious mostly to the actions of Jesus on our behalf. We simply enjoy the benefit of his work on our behalf. We simply are the happy recipients, those who receive all the good things that are given by him. Beloved, understand and know that as a believer, one who is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the right to draw close. Come to God with great boldness and familiarity, with, a, with a, a comfortableness, a comfortable confidence. I like that word. Comfortable confidence. But this way is a new and living way. It will never grow old. It will never die. It was not established by you. It was not made by you. It was made and purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that we, the third privilege again being the fact that you are not alone. That you have one who is actively working on your behalf against your worst interests. You know, some of us are self-destructive in our actions. You know, we, we don't do the things that we should do. We don't go to the gym or whatever it is, whatever, whatever. You know, we don't do it. And we're like, Zzzz. but Christ is there picking us up. 
keeping us going. Despite the storms, despite the problems, He is there actively involved in our life, guiding us, protecting us, shepherding us. For He is the true and real shepherd, the real pastor of our souls. Those are the three privileges that have been given to you and I. And as a consequence, because of those things, the writer, the Holy Spirit through the writer then says, In verse 22, then let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and with our bodies uh, and our bodies washed in pure water. As a consequence to those three great truths of the Christian life, now he begins to turn the spotlight of of God's word upon us and says, because those things are true, therefore you and I must live this way. Because you have boldness, the the right to be confident and comfortable in God's house, because God has erected this new system where you're able to come to him day and daily, not just once a year, not just three times a year, but day and daily, Because you have this one who shepherds your soul, who's there beside you, who's watching over you as a parent or watching over his child. You're then to let us draw near. The first of the three, let us. Draw near with a true heart. Not a heart that's full of hypocrisy. Not a heart that, that is half and half. Not a heart that, 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 okay. But we, we are to push on. We are to move in. We are not to, to hold away. Now remember what was happening in this situation. These people were on the fence as it were. There were many who were on the fence. Because of the persecutions that were going on. He said, what persecutions, Kai? Think of Acts. Think of Saul who became Paul and his violent outbreathings towards the early church. How they were hunting Christians. How they were seizing their households. Confiscating all of their stuff. Simply because of the fact that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And these people now were on the fence. They were kind of, oh, uh, and they were maybe beginning to step back. They were being absorbed into their culture. And yet here, he's exhorting them. Instead of drawing back, instead of fading away, instead of, instead of becoming translucent or invisible in your faith, begin to step up. Full assurance. I like that expression, but full assurance, you know, like... Uh, it's like the CEO who walks into his company. Now, did anyone see the pictures of Elon Musk when he went into his, his meeting with the uh, CEO or the, 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 the board of directors? From He had a sink with him, didn't he? Because he was going to throw everything at them and the sink. And I thought, oh, there's a man who knows he's the boss. There's a man who knows his place. He's not afraid of anything or anyone. He has a statement in his hands. And he entered the building with full assurance. He was the boss. He was going to get his way. And that's how it was. He owns the company. You and I are commanded. Commanded. It's not 
a recommendation. It's a command. Therefore, let us draw near with, uh, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We know these things to be true, therefore let us act in such a way as it demonstrates that these things are true. Beloved, you are commanded to shine in this world. First and foremost, not just how people see, but in the fact of your relationship with God. You are called to have a relationship with God. You are called and commanded to draw close to Him day and daily. Not just now and again when you think about it. Not just when you have to, when God puts things in your life that forces you to. He wants you to come with a a ready heart. He desires relationship. And we must make the effort. The idea here is, again, these are the obligations set upon you. You must make the effort. Do you see what God has done for you? All the effort He has made on your behalf. He's given you the right to enter into the sanctuary, to turn to Him at any point. He's made this new and living way that's available to you whenever, whenever. Because of the blood of Jesus, it cannot be extinguished. It cannot be removed. It's purchased, established. It's eternal now. He's there with you, ever ready. And as a result of that, you're then commanded to have to come to him. This is the duty. The obligation that has been set upon you has been set upon me. That we are to come to him. The Bible says here, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. More even than that, it releases our conscience from sin. It cleanses our minds and our hearts. Sets us free from the guilt of the past. Transforms us and changes us into new people. Though we may have done things in the past that we are ashamed of, and still we, we don't want people to know about them. Oh God, help us know. But in our conscience, and our standing before God, we know that those things have been dealt with. That Jesus took upon himself the eternal consequence of those actions. That they've been dealt with. That Jesus died as a consequence to our sin. It's not undealt with. It's been dealt with. And as a result of that, it is no more. As far as the east is from the west, I will remove your sins. I will see them no more. I will remember them no more, he says. And therefore, we can come to him with a cleansed conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. And this is symbolic language again, temple language. As they were offering up the sacrifice, they would have washed all the blood and guts and gore out of it. And it would have been a clean carcass. And the idea there is that our lives have been purified by the washing of God's word. That no longer do we steal, murder, whatever, those kind of sins. We're actively living in the, the foiled practices of this world. Our life has been transformed by the washing of the word. We have come into right relationship and we're walking in his ways and keeping his requirements. We're being 
sanctified or going through the ongoing work of sanctification by our being obedient to the word. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of the faith. And then the second one, verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Let us hold on to the confession of our faith, of our hope, sorry, hope. Remember the first one is faith, second one is hope, and then the last one is love. This isn't simply a, a, a hope I get what I want for Christmas. Cross your fingers, you know, like stand on one leg and throw salt. It's not superstitious hope. It's not groundless hope. It is the hope of our faith. It is the, the, uh, the faith. It's not mystical, spiritual experience. It's the truth, the religious truth by which we live. I know that Jesus is the Messiah. I know that he died for my sins. I know that his blood paid for my crimes against heaven. And I know that he shall return. And he's now pointing them to the eternal, or to the return, sorry, to the second coming, to that great hope that should motivate us as Christians. That he is returning one day. Not only will he just take me to heaven, but I'll stand before him. I'll receive my rewards. God willing, please, Lord. Our great hope is that he's coming again. Our great hope is that we shall see him again. Our great hope is that we will never experience hell and the torment that is to come. That great fire of his wrath. Let us hold on in our day and daily lives, not just on an invisible scale, not just like, well, I have a hope somewhere deep down in here. But it's a hope that motivates us. It puts a little spring in our step. It gives us a little bit of a kick. That caffeine kick that we need sometimes in the morning to get us going. Or in the afternoon or around three o'clock, some of us. This hope is what maintains us and keeps us alive in our lives when all is turning around when it seems the whole world is dead and has no interest in Christ yet we know he is coming we know he is building his church we are unashamed and not frightened despite what the world would throw at us despite the emptiness the apparent uninterest despite all the intimidation Remember again who were, who were being spoken to. These people were facing perhaps prison. Certainly facing scorn and mockery. They were facing the... I don't know how to say it. How do you, how do you, what is the word for when you have family members who don't approve? And somehow in some way they kind of lift an eyebrow. I just, scorn? Is that scorn? I don't know what it is. But it's that great bullying tactic that the people who you love, who don't agree with what you're doing, and they kind of go, okay, okay. And it puts the fear, doesn't it? I don't want to say the fear of God in you, but it puts the fear of man in you. 
becomes a trap to you. It locks you in place. It sticks your feet to the ground. Somehow, in some way, you can become paralysed. And your tongue suddenly swells up in your mouth. And you're... You can't speak. You change the subject. You make a joke. You kind of belittle. Oh, yeah, yeah. But here in this text, we are commanded that we are to stand fast, that we are to hold on, not give up or give in in the face of the world's intimidation, in the face of persecution, in the face of disinterest and of mockery, of scorn. We are to stand fast in our hope. To speak when we must speak. Not just to have a personal quiet faith inside me. Well this is what I believe. And um, I don't care what you say. I, I, again. I remember when I worked in Terrier. And I was sitting at the table with all the men of our shift. And the men in our shift were speaking about a young girl from one of Sarah's football teams at the time. This is way back in 2002. One. And she was only a teenager. She was like 14 or 15. But she looked much older. And the poor girl had a very troubled life. She had bad parents who didn't look after her. And the young woman didn't have any self-respect. And therefore she used sexuality and her, her, her womanly ways to try and make herself feel good. And, and uh, she had a bit of a reputation in the village. Because she, she perhaps wasn't respecting herself as much as she should be. And the men of my shift were, began to talk about this young woman, this young girl. She wasn't a woman, she was a girl. And there was one of the men on my shift, the foreman of my shift, who was a leader in the Lutheran church at that time. And he began to comment and to make remarks about this young woman, a girl, sorry, child really. She looked like a woman, but she was a child. In a very inappropriate way and all the men were <laughs> laughing and joking and being disgusting men as men are disgusting and I'm sitting there and I don't know what to do my face is red and the gentleman the, the man who was the foreman of my and he kind of looked at me and went <laughs> and I just had to say do you think that's right for a Christian man to speak in that way in, a, in, a, in front of a room of 13 Manly men, working class men. Do you think it's right for a Christian man to be speaking that way about a child? In my country, what you're doing is called pedophilism. It's grooming. It's not only is it sin, it's a crime. And the stemming in the room went from 100 down to the floor, into the basement, and all of a sudden men began to flee the room. The foreman looked at his feet and went, you're right, I'm sorry. And I said, don't need to be sorry to me. It's against God and God alone have you sinned. And uh, you need to go and apologize to every man in the, in, the, in the... I'm so hard, I don't mean to be, but I am. You need to go and apologize to every man in this shift and tell them that this kind of behavior isn't appropriate. And he did. But we must stand for our great hope. We must stand for the things of the faith even in the midst of situations like that where we are in a position of do we speak out or do we keep our minds quiet? It would be very easy for me just to say nothing and be one of the boys, to fit in, to, to go, oh, 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 Kai, just, he's, a good, he's one of the good ones. 
We're not called to be one of the good ones. We're called to stand without wavering. I like the word wavering. It means lack of consistency. Sometimes you're good and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you speak and sometimes you don't. You, you, you wobble. We're called to do it. It's, it's a duty. It's an obligation. It's, it's a, a command that's been set upon you. You are to hold on to the confession of your hope. That of Christ's returning. Of the life that we're living. Of being righteous in this world. Of being salt and light. Without wavering. Why? Because he promised to return is faithful. Meaning he's trustworthy. He will do it. And he sees and he knows. He's with you at all times. Beloved, remember who it is we serve. And then the third obligation is this. Verse 24. And let us, the third of the let us, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see that day approaching. Let us watch out for one another, to provoke one another to good works. I was reading that word, I said, what does it mean to provoke one another? You know, like, I have kids who provoke me, you know, like, what are you going to do, daddy? What are you going to do? You know, or I provoke my wife, or, you know, means to instigate. I watched this film a long time ago. It's a girly film. I can't even remember the name of it. With Sarah, oh, one of those ones, you know, like a hall card movie. I don't know what they're called. It's just ridiculous ones. And it was like pass it on or something. Something like I can't remember. And it was like some child doing some good deed. Who then? And the guy says, "Can I? What can I give you for this?" And he says, "No, no, just just do a good deed in, in return." And he passes on, and it becomes this whole movement of pass it on. You do something good for someone, and then you pass it on. You don't look for a payment, you pass it on. And you provoke one another, you know, do something good for somebody else at some other point. And as Christians, we are commanded to look out for each other. To look out for the people in the body of Christ. To do good. And in doing good, to cause good to happen. So I help you, you help somebody else. As that which has been done unto you, do it to someone else. As you'd have unto yourself. Unto others. And as Christians there is this obligation. That we are to look out for one another. Spiritually and physically. Are we praying for one another? Are we speaking to God about one another? It's very easy in church life to speak about people. Gossip the love child sin of the church isn't it? Especially here in Finland. It's very easy to kind of judgmentally make comments about people. Whatever the comment might be. It's very easy to just say things about one another. But beloved, do you speak to God about people? Not the, the gossip with God, but say, Lord, I think that person's having a hard time. Please, Lord, I'm praying. I know that, Lord... You're the one who makes a difference. Help them in their inner mind. Strengthen them. And then say, Lord, is there somehow in some way I can help that person? Is there somehow in some way that I can do something? Little, not necessarily great, and oh, sun shining and not falling. There's a... 
They write a book about you and make a movie and a TV series, you know? No, no, no. Something small and invisible. Something un, unnoticed. It's only noticed by the person that you help. A drop of water or whatever, a cup of tea. Something, something, something. A cup of coffee. We live in Finland. I have to say, a cup of coffee. I'm going to Ireland soon, so I've reverted back to tea drinking. <sighs> we are commanded by God as a result of all that He has done for us on our behalf. We are commanded to look out for one another, to provoke one another, to motivate one another, to tempt one another. I think that's a really strange. One of the commentaries I read this week talked about we must tempt one another into good deeds. I was like, that's an interesting way of saying it. Provoking. Causing it to happen. Motivating people's hearts towards righteousness and general care for one another. It's very convicting, isn't it? Do we watch out for one another? The word watch out literally means to be on your guard. To, again, as we watch out for the little ones here in church, you know, uh, when we, my family, were in Ireland in the spring and we went with all of my fam- Irish family to, uh, this day where we drove around all of Ireland. We did like so much stuff, didn't we? We did so much stuff on one day. It was exhausting. We went to the mountains, we went to the valleys, we went to the waterfalls, we went to a prison, we went to the cliffs, which drew everywhere. It was crazy how much we drove. And we went to some place like uh, the Glenarf Valleys. Remember the valleys we went to? They looked like a place out of, um, out of Jurassic Park. There was a big river there. There was a walkway all the way down and waterfalls. It was green Irish, of course. It was lovely. We had the little ones with us, the little my brother's children with us. And uh, as we were walking on the walkway, because it's iron and everything's wet and there's moss and everything, and it's very slippy, you know, and if you don't have the right shoes, like if you're in the swimming pool and your kids are running along the swimming pool and all of a sudden you see their legs going like that and they hit the floor. Oh, panic, panic, panic. And as we were moving as a group, you could see all the adults keeping an eye on all the small children. Everybody was watching over one, everyone else's children. It wasn't like my brother saying, well, you watch your own kids and I'll watch my kids. And I don't care what happens to your children. Because my kids are daft. They'll hang off things. My brother's kids are daft as well. They're like, oh, look, I can, I can lean all over this waterfall. Silly children. But you didn't have this idea of, well, you look after yours and I'll look after mine. No, no, no. We all looked after all the kids. And some of the adults looked after me because apparently I'm useless. Yeah, yeah, so. Apparently, yeah, I wore the wrong shoes for walking in the country, you know. I had my, my suit shoes on. And, um, but there was this general understanding that we care and we look out and we watch out for one another. Beloved, we are commanded in church to do the same. To care for one another and to watch out for one another. To interfere in a good meaning way in each other's lives. I know that's counter our culture. I know that, that that's anti-Finnish. Today at least. I think in the olden times, maybe it was a lot more. That when you had that talco spirit, you know, when we, we all participated in. 
We are to watch out for one another. And we are to provoke one another to love and to good works. Be challenged by that. Be challenged by that. This is the ultimate expression of your Christian faith. This is the, you've heard me say it a million times because it is a continual theme. It's repeated in every book of the Bible. Righteousness looks like love. Love looks like caring. Caring gets involved in people's situations. Doesn't take over or intrude or is rude or hurtful or harmful. But is helpful. Beloved, these are the things that we're, we're commanded to do. And it says here in verse 25, not neglecting. This is the, those are the positive, this is the negative. Not neglecting to gather together. As some are in the habit of doing. These people didn't gather together because they were afraid of persecution. They held back because they were afraid of what people might think or say. Or that they might lose their stuff. They were beginning to put distance between each other. Because they were afraid that they might get branded with the same scandal. And they were commanded not to do so. And then it says here, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's a strange thing in Christianity. I don't know if it's in other things, but I've noticed it in my short 30 years of doing this, 30-something years of doing this. I have noticed that the longer people are in the faith, oftentimes the less they are involved. Becomes complacent, becomes familiar. Instead of their Christian lives becoming more and more vibrant and alive and alive and alive and alive, I was going to say, that's not really alive, alive and, and, and influential, there is a, a kind of wearing out. And I can understand it. You know, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. It's a thing that happens amongst pastors and not even pastors, among carers. I was thinking about Martin and Martin's job. And the more you do it, and the more you're giving yourself, it wears you down. You're coming into situations where you're, you're having to give of yourself and care and be in people's lives. And then it seems like there's nothing left of you. You're paper thin. That can happen to us as Christians in our walk with God and in our life here on earth. But the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit through the writer to the church today tells us that the more we see that day coming, the longer we are in the faith. As each day passes and his return comes closer, we are to behave more so in this fashion, more so in this manner. Not less, but more. Beloved, let us be challenged in our hearts. Let us uh, remember the duties, but also remember the privileges, or the privileges and the duties that we've been given. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us. Lord, that we would remember all that you have done for us. Lord, we would remember the truth of your word. Lord, that you have made this new way for us, this new and living way. Lord, that we can approach you with boldness and assurance. Oh, Father, we pray that, that our lives might become more vibrant, more living, more alive. 
that you'd help us to let go of the things of this world that hold us back, the fears, the intimidations, the guilt, the shames, or our own culture that has conditioned us to be distant from you. Lord, help us to see that it's in you and you alone, O Lord Jesus Christ, that access and life is granted. Lord, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, for those who don't know you, may they see that you are always willing and waiting and wanting, Lord, a relationship with them. Help us, Lord, as the day approaches to continue to walk in your ways and to keep your requirements, to walk, Lord, in such a way as to bring you glory. Father, we ask this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.